Welcome back to Just Talking Sports. My name's JT Noah and welcome in. We have a great one, man. It's Tuesday. It's been a great weekend. Victory Sunday was a great one. If you're a Chiefs fan, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you're an Eagles fan, you know what I'm talking about. We've got huge games to talk about. We've got NFL we're going to get into later on. But we've got to start with college basketball and the NFL because you know I can't just leave those two out. But before we get into it, Let's do the question of the day. I forgot one last week, but we got to start with one this week. Let's go with this one. You ready? How many coaches have faced their former team in the Super Bowl? How many coaches have faced their former team in the Super Bowl? The reason I asked that, obviously, is because Andy Reid is now a part of that because he did coach the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's now coaching the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously. So we won't count that one. So how many before Andy Reid were there before he got there? All right, but let's get into it with the college basketball, guys. I mean, huge, huge weekend of college basketball that happened. Huge week since I've been here. And to talk to you, we got the Big 12 SEC Challenge. The Big 12 did win it 6-3, but I mean, there were some great games that happened, including some shocking ones. I think the most shocking one, obviously, had to be Oklahoma, guys. Oklahoma, at home, in Norman, destroys, destroys number two Alabama, 93-69. 93-69. And the thing is, is Alabama was on that cusp of, do they get the, the number one overall AP pick? Do they get the number one overall pick going into the tournament? Well, newsflash, they're not getting it now because they got obliterated on the road. And their defense has been skeptical in the last couple games now. It's it's kind of getting worrisome if you're a uh, Crimson Tide fan because you think about it, you played Mississippi State, not very tight. You did beat Missouri, I will give you that. But it was without Kobe Brown. Missouri did not have them, did not have their, their best player, their all-around player, who was picked to be SEC first team uh, at the beginning of the year. So it's kind of like that mixed bag. Uh, that game could have been a whole lot different if Kobe does play for the Tigers. Now, Garrett, uh, excuse me, Grant uh, Sherfield dropped 30 points for the Sooners. Jalen Hill dropped another 26 for them. So there's 56 points right there by those two. And I mean, you put 93 up on Alabama. That's that's something to go with. I mean, they shot 57.6% from the field. So. Oklahoma was doing the right thing. Oklahoma needed this win. They're on that cusp of the bubble right now with a lot of bracketology picks. So they needed to win. Alabama, I still have as a one seed, but they're not going to get that number one seed overall unless Purdue starts falling and other teams start falling at this point. Another one that was uh, a little bit of a shocker was Mississippi State beat number 11 TCU in overtime in Mississippi State. Now listen, it was in Stark, uh, Starksville. Uh, they won 81-74. But the bigger news for TCU was Mike Miles. Mike Miles Jr. got hurt within the first four minutes of the game. He does have a hyperextended knee. No, no damage to the ligaments. So no ACL or MCL or all those are intact. So now it's just like a week-to-week basis for Miles Jr. And, but it, it really showed in this game the depth Mississippi State has. I mean, they win in overtime by scoring, uh, outscoring TCU 15 to eight. And they, I mean, you think about it, TCU got two points with one second. They got sent to the free throw line, so they really did it. Uh, they outscored them 15 to six, but they did get the two, the two points at the end. TCU did so. The depth right there shows, and I mean, the injuries. You have the big man for TCU that got injured earlier this, uh, earlier last weekend, and he got injured and he rolled his ankle. We talked about it last week as well. Now you have Mike Miles Jr. who got hurt within the four minutes with the hyperextended knee. That's just gonna that's gonna rattle you because Miles Jr. is one is your best player on offense, and so he goes down and he goes down. You lose by seven, still on the road. So Mississippi State is more of an underrated team in the SEC. Uh, just because they have some really good quality wins, and it's always hard to win on the road. I think going on the road and into a tough environment out of conference is so hard in the middle of the season, and I'll keep talking about it in this challenge because it's such a hard challenge for these teams that go on the road, including number 12, Iowa State, who did go on the road to lose to Col- uh, Mizzou in Como, Columbia, Missouri. Kobe Brown showed up, had a double-double, 20 points, 12 rebounds. Offensive tip-outs were huge for Kobe. He was hitting shots, and when he's hitting shots, it's it's scary for this for the defense that the Tigers are playing because now you have Isaiah Mosley, you have uh, Kobe Brown, uh, Kobe Brown. I mean, so you have Demoy Hodges out there, so those guys can play. Nick Honor was shooting well as well, so Nick Honor hit three threes. So that if they can hit those shots, Mizzou is going to be a very tough out. Uh, you you talk about it because you think about this is Mizzou has been clicking from the three point line. They shot fourteen of thirty from the three, 
against Iowa State. They shot 16 of 30 on Tuesday night against Ole Miss. That's that 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 right there is crazy. You think about that. That's going. That's 50 percent in the last two games because they're going 30 of 60 from three. That's that's crazy to think about. So the last two games they've shot 50 percent from the three, and that trio that they have going on right now, Isaiah Mosley, Demoy Hodges, and Kobe Brown, is crazy because if Kobe hits the outside shot like he has been, now you can't have that gap where you can. Edge your bet. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna drive, and he doesn't drive. So that's that's the big key right there for everyone is when Kobe's hitting those threes, it makes the defense even play harder, and that's why the Tigers can be such a tough, difficult matchup for a lot of teams when they're healthy. And I think they could be a very tough out if they get into the tournament. Now, West Virginia hands hangs on to beat number fifteen Auburn eighty to seventy seven. Eric Stevenson dropped thirty one points for West Virginia, but the, the thing was is Auburn kept themselves in this game. They were down by so much. They were down 45-29. And it just they got really close. They got to one point, but they couldn't get the lead. But I, I'm I'm so shocked by how close Auburn got it back to because it just felt like West Virginia had this game in hands and Auburn found a way to claw back. I, it was gonna be a tough game for them just because it was on the road. The only team that won on the road in this challenge was Kansas. And we'll get into that in a minute. So Auburn can't find a way to get back into the game late, and they get close, as I said, one, and they lose 80-77. to 77. I don't think this is a big, like, oh my gosh, they lost. It's a, it's a big kill. I don't think that's the, that's the problem. I think it's more of, what are they going to do? And, like, how bad does this hurt them? Because it's going to hurt them in the standings a little because you take a loss. But, I mean, you still have in-conference play that's going to help, and I, I think they're still a top, they're a top five team come SEC play, and I think they still have a legitimate sh- chance, especially at getting the second round by in the SEC tournament. Now moving on, you had number four, Tennessee, and number 10, Texas, handling each other in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tennessee hangs on for the win, 82-71. Uh, Tennessee controlled this game throughout. They led the game, uh, they led the game throughout this, like I said, they had the lead for the 13-minute mark on from the first half. So you can tell by that point it was good. They held the lead for 33 minutes straight if you're counting, and I can do math. They also out-rebounded Texas by 15, 38-23. So that's where the big thing came is you're out-rebounding Texas. You're getting those second-chance opportunities. You're not giving Texas those second-chance opportunities. And so that's how you keep the handle, and they win, they win by 11, 82-71. Now here's the one that... I'm not shocked by the outcome, but I'm shocked by some of the stats. Number nine, Kansas goes on the road, and they beat Kentucky in Lexington, 77-68. Jalen Wilson, folks, he just hits shot after shot after shot. Hand in your face, he's going to hit it. Kentucky would get the lead down to two, boom, Jalen Wilson, three. Uh, Kentucky got it to one, Jalen Wilson goes, hold on, three, in your face, get it up to four. He just kept hitting shot after shot after shot, and that's how they go. Uh, Wilson finished with 22 points. But the big thing, like I talked about, this is the one thing that I thought was crazy. Kansas out-rebounded Kentucky, folks. 34-29. And the other thing is, is Kentucky only had four offensive rebounds. Kentucky is one of the top five teams in the nation in offensive rebounds, and you only had four. Oscar Shibway didn't have many. He couldn't get a double-double. They were not getting the Mac. They weren't giving him the ball when he needed to, and he couldn't get the offensive rebounds. They were doing great jobs of boxing out with the Jayhawks. And that's the key to the reason Kansas won this game because Kentucky wasn't getting those second-chance opportunities in this game. So like I said, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, the last one, because next year the SEC plays the ACC in the challenge for the challenge. And so the Big 12 takes it 6-3, to three, like I said. And so they move on. They don't move on, but they win the last one. So that's good for the Big 12. I kind of figured the Big 12 would win. They are the best college basketball conference out there. Top to bottom, they are loaded, so I'm not surprised by the outcome. Some other notable scores to go over since last Tuesday. Crane uh, put it on number 13, Xavier, 84-67 on Saturday. All the starters for the Blue Jays were in double digits, and I'm telling you, when the Blue Jays are healthy, they are a scary team. I told you at the beginning of the season, they are one of my final four picks. I ain't going away from it. I know they've had a rocky start, but they've had some injury problems, and I think Crane is getting healthy, and I think they still can make a run to the final four. Uh, Hofsa... Uh, went on the road to beat number 18, Charleston. And you're probably thinking to yourself, who are these two teams? Well, uh, Hofstra beat them 85-81. But the thing is, is uh, number 18, Charleston, had a 20-game winning streak going into it, which was the longest in college basketball. That was broken, obviously, with the loss. And so that's a key. Now Charleston, everyone was talking about how they were getting an automatic bid. 
uh, if they didn't win the their uh, conference tournament. Well, now you're thinking about it. Maybe they don't get it because they took this loss. Everyone thought they were going to win out, and then they could take a, a loss in the tournament, uh, in their conference tournament. But guess what? Now you can't since you lost there. So now Charleston might have to win out to get into the automatic bid for the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, Pittsburgh beats number 20 Miami, 71-68. Nothing special there, but Pittsburgh is keeping uh, themselves on the bubble according to bracketologists, so that's the big key there. And then last night, folks, Texas Tech beats number 13, Iowa State. So Iowa State fell one spot in the AP poll. you got to remember they did beat Kansas State last week. But Iowa State loses in overtime, 80-77 to in Texas Tech. But the thing is, is Texas Tech was down by 23 points at one point in the second half. It's the largest comeback in ranked against a ranked opponent in the last decade for, for anyone. So Texas Tech... Goes down by 23 and says, oh, wait, now we're supposed to wake up. They wake up, send it to overtime, and they win in overtime by three. So that is it. But you want to talk about something? Did you notice anything here? Uh, Creighton was on the uh, was at home, beat number 13, Xavier. Hospital was on the road, so they did do it on the road. Pittsburgh was at home. They beat number 20. Texas Tech at home, beat number 13, Iowa State. Kansas goes on the road and wins. Okay, Tennessee was at home. They beat Texas, West Virginia at home beats number 15 Auburn, Missouri at home beats number 12 Iowa State, Mississippi State at home beats number 11 TCU, Oklahoma at home beats number 2 Alabama. Did you see the comment there? Yeah, when you're at home, it's a difference maker in college basketball and it just shows. Those atmospheres are electric and the players play to the atmosphere and that's what they did in these games and that's what's going to happen throughout the whole season and into conference play that's why it's so cool to have the neutral site because then it's not fully guaranteed the um there's gonna be there's not a full guarantee that oh my gosh the big team's gonna win because even on the road you're still gonna have some teams that have great uh travelers for their fan base and that's what's huge about those now some games to watch here i got a couple for you guys it's i think it's seven you got one tonight one tonight number seven kansas state goes on the road to play number eight, Kansas, the Sunflower Showdown, folks, is in Lawrence. Remember, K-State did beat them earlier, but that was in Manhattan. Now you got to go on the road and beat Kansas. Can they do it? I would be so shocked, honestly, if K-State beat Kansas in Lawrence. But, I mean, you think about it, TCU put it on Kansas in Lawrence. But Kansas, they beat Kentucky to get off that three-game skid. I think Kansas will find a way to win this game tonight. Tomorrow night, you have number 17, Providence, versus number 15, Xavier. I like Xavier at home. I think Xavier's going to bounce back from that loss to Crane. And so that's where I got that. Number eight, Kansas on Saturday. Heads on the road to face number 13, Iowa State. Like I said, Iowa State now on a two-game losing streak after losing to Mizzou and uh, to Texas Tech. I think they find a way to get a win at home. They're undefeated at home as well. So on the road, they're beatable when they're at home. It's been tough this season, so I like Iowa State at home on Saturday. Number 23, Miami versus number 20, Clemson. I think Clemson's a little bit overhyped. I like Miami, actually, in this game to win. Clemson hasn't won a game against an AP uh, top 25 team yet this season. Their strength of schedule, I think, is the top bottom 10, so it's not very good. So I like Miami, actually, to win on the road on Saturday. On Saturday as well, you have number 10, Texas, versus number 7, K-State. I like K-State at home, Manhattan. You got to love it. That place is going to be rocking. You got to love that place. Then that late game that night, you got at 10.30, number 12, Gonzaga goes on the road to play number 18, St. Mary's. Listen, St. Mary's plays Gonzaga hard no matter what, and this year Gonzaga has been a little rough of themselves, so I really like St. Mary's on Saturday night. I think St. Mary's could put up, uh, beat them by double digits this time, and I think St. Mary's can pull that off and win by double digits. I don't know if you want to call that an upset or not, but I like St. Mary's in that game at home. And then Monday, a week from yesterday, you have number 10 Texas on the road in Lawrence facing number 8 Kansas, and I like I like Kansas in that game. When Kansas is at home, it's very hard to beat them, and I think they just keep winning at home with Dick, Wilson, and all those players out there. I think K.J. Adams has been playing well, so I like Kansas to win those games. Those are some just games to watch because you love ranked games and you love them when they're at home. I think those are some really good games to watch, and you got to pull your chair out and just be ready for it. Alrighty, guys, when we come back, we're hopping into the NBA, the pros of the hoops. You're listening to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. People been saying to your friend, get a different face, and posting on their feed, they're super ugly. Say to them online are cruel and they're not true. 
Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom. Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What, did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. And we're back. Welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host, like still, JT Noah. And man, we're hopping into the NBA. And I'm telling you, I'm still getting used to this Tuesday night kind of talk show. I was used to the Thursday morning, and it, it felt good to have the Thursday morning. But I'm also I'm also kind of happy to move it just because the NFL season's coming to an end. And so now you have the NBA, and you have the college basketball, and the baseball season's starting to pick up some free agencies. And so on a Tuesday, you're fine with it because the NFL's over. So... Just a little thing like that is what you need to do. But let's get into the NBA, all right? On Wednesday night, so a day after my new show schedule, was the Grizzlies Grizzlies versus the Warriors. And let me tell you, the Warriors won 122-120. to Jordan Poole with the game-winning layup with one second left. It was an inbound under the basket, and Poole somehow gets around uh, Baines and gets the layup in, and it was great. Curry had 34 points, but got ejected with two minutes left following throwing his mouthpiece. And it's crazy because I think I think the referees quite didn't understand the situation. Uh, Curry was really upset with Jordan Poole. At the time, the Warriors were up by two, and so they had the ball, and they just had gotten a rebound, and... They throw it out to Jordan Poole, and Jordan Poole just pulls up for a three, a deep three contested, and he misses. And you can see Curry's over there trying to get the ball, and Poole just doesn't uh, pass him the ball, and he shoots it, and Curry turns around and just chucks his mouthpiece, and they throw him out. And so that changes the whole complexion of the game, really, because now you don't have Curry in, who's already got 34 points. Now you have Poole and Clay Thompson out there, and I know those two are good in... You haven't had Curry for a couple games this season, but you still want your best players out there when they're healthy. And to get ejected for throwing your mouthpiece because you're mad at someone is kind of kind of funny. And then the person you're mad at actually hits the game-winning shot is even crazier. Now the other thing is is when when will the Grizzlies start winning? Like they, uh, you had John Morant talking about how they run the West and all this, and they're not scared of anyone. You're 15 and 15 in the West, my friend. When are you going to start winning these games? You got to start beating these teams if you're going to talk the talk. I mean, you can ask Cincinnati and the mayor all you want, but I mean, you got to if you're going to talk your talk, you've got to back it up. And right now the Grizzlies are not backing it up. So, as much as we want to say, "Oh, wow. Hey, hey, the Grizzlies are on the come up. They've got to start winning in the West." And I think right now the Grizzlies and the Warriors are the best rivalry we have in the NBA. You want to talk about it because you have the Warriors who are that team. Like, honestly, you have the Warriors who are that team that have won championships in the last decade. They've been the big dogs, right? And they even won it. And um, so that's it. I mean, they're the big dogs. They've won it. And you have these Grizzlies who are like, hey, we're young. We're coming up. We're better than you. And we're going to take it away from you. And so they've been chirping. And guess what? The Warriors have kind of heard that chirp and they've been taking it kind of personal. And guess what? The Warriors have gone out and beat the Grizzlies. So until the Grizzlies start winning some games in the West and against the Warriors, I don't know if you can trust the Grizzlies. Now, moving on to Saturday's games, you had a great couple matchups without the NFL playing, so you had to have something, right? And college basketball is there. But Saturday, you had the 76ers of Philadelphia versus the Denver Nuggets, which in Attack the 76ers won 126 to 119. And oh my goodness, Joel Embiid, my man, dropping 47 points with 18 rebounds, a nice double double, hits the dagger against 
the Nuggets over the Joker, Jokic, uh, for a three. It was beautiful, and he hits it, and that's 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 all she wrote, folks. Like, that was a beautiful three. He stepped back, hit it over Jokic, and I don't think Jokic saw it coming. For the bigger picture, it doesn't have much implications for it just because this, listen, the season's still kind of young. The 76ers are in the East. The Nuggets are in the West. We all get that. The Nuggets are right now the top dog in the West. And the 76ers are in third. So that's that. But right now, I think it also helps. I think individual-wise, I think it helps Embiid because everyone's talking about how Embiid and Jokic are probably your top two uh, going getters for the MVP right now in the NBA. And I will get into that in a minute. But I'm just... I, I think it helps individual-wise if you want to talk about it. And I hate talking to individuals because, like, individual, you don't want this and that. But so that's where it stands. Yeah, 76ers are third. They're three games back of the Boston Celtics, two and a half behind, or not two and a half, a game, uh, half a game back from the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Grizzlies, like I said, are in second. The Denver Nuggets are in first. They have a two-game lead on the Grizzlies. So, like I said, I think it's more individual, but I think Joel Embiid dropping 47 is great. Now let's talk about the nightcap game. And the nightcap game got a lot of more attention because it's LeBron James, it's the Boston Celtics against the Lakers, yada, yada. And then you had the problem at the end of the game. The Celtics win in overtime, 125 to 121. Jalen Brown for the Celtics had 37. LeBron James had 41. The bigger problem comes at the end of the game. The game's tied. We're tied at going, right? And it's it's going great. And the Lakers are holding the ball for the last shot. Okay, and they get the last shot, and it's a it's a driving layup for LeBron James, and it looks like LeBron James is going to get uh, the shot off, and it's going to be contested, which is fine. There's going to be a lot of hands, and then the ball goes flying, and then you see LeBron James. LeBron James, um, how do you how do you how do you want to say what he acted like? Let's say it like this: When my mom tells me I can't have any more cookies, and I want one more cookie. And I was seven. That's probably how I acted. Okay. He gets on his hands and knees and starts like literally crying. Like I understand. Like let's be clear. Let's be clear here. That was a foul on him. You had Jason Tatum whack him in the arm. And that is a clear foul. But the way LeBron James reacted is the most funniest thing I've seen in a while. And for him to act like that as a professional athlete with let's say I would say the best player in the game right now. You could say. And him, the way they act like that, a little too far in my opinion. Then you had Patrick Beverly, who um, during the commercial break, going into overtime and they were in a timeout, he decides to bring out the camera. He wants to show the referee, hey, hey, you did miss this foul, look at it, and he gets a technical foul. So there's some extreme problems here with the Celtic, or with the Lakers because I get you were fouled. And I get you wanted your free throws because you could win the game. But A, it's not a guarantee he makes those free throws. Free throws. Listen, LeBron James is not the greatest three free thrower out there. So he's not guaranteed to make them. And then for Patrick Beverly to do that, Patrick Beverly had a phenomenal game. But for him to do that, you deserve a technical. I'm surprised they didn't throw you out. So a little bit extreme by the Lakers there, even though it was a horrible call. And yeah, he should have been at the free throw line, but guess what? He wasn't. It was a missed call. It happens. They're humans. There's missed calls and everything. Ask the Chiefs. Ask the Bengals. Ask the 49ers. Ask the Eagles. Ask the Celtics. Ask the 76ers. The Nuggets. You can ask any sport. Go ask the Colorado Avalanche of hockey. St. Louis Blues. I mean, uh, MLB. You have missed calls everywhere. You know why? Because they're humans calling the game. Like, you act like it's so, so easy to go out there and call this game. And I know there was an obvious foul, but you can't just be out there acting like you can... Uh, talk all this crap on them because, oh, they missed this call and it cost me the game. I get that. But you also could have put yourself in a better situation to win the game if you're the Lakers. Now, moving on to the Pelicans-Bucks game that happened on Sunday. The Bucks won 135-110, to but that's not the point. The only reason I put this in here is Giannis dropped 50, folks. Giannis dropped 50 points and 13 rebounds, and he did that without even playing a full fourth quarter. Giannis right now is literally one of the most mind-boggling humans out there. The way he moves with that body of his is is is, is it's 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 crazy because you think about it, he's a huge man. That's why he's called the Greek freak JT. Um and he does things that you just don't see. Now he's shooting threes and he's making them almost three to four times a night. And when you can do that, that that's even scarier for the defense that you're going up against. 
I mean, I, 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 I don't know how he can't win another MVP. I'm surprised he hasn't, but I know Jokic is out there too. Jokic and Giannis and Joel Embiid, three of the bigger dudes out there that are not point guards. They're not even point guards or shooting guards. They're out there doing stuff for their team that is crazy. This is the 10th time this season he's scored 40 or more points and the 5th time in his career that he scored 50 points. It's the second time this month Giannis has scored 50 points, folks. Second time this month. That is unreal. And you wonder why the Bucks are always going to have a chance now in days with the NBA Finals. Because they have Giannis. They have Giannis. When you have him, you have a chance. He's like the Patrick Mahomes right now of the um, NBA. I know he's not splashy like Steph Curry and you could say Steph Curry's like that and honestly you could say oh wow well I bet he could actually be the Joe Burrow or whatever but I'm telling you he's like the quarterback for the Bucks, and he's up there he's in that conversation where he should be with like he's the Joe Burrow Josh Allen Patrick Holmes wherever you want to put him in that category of where he changes the game when he's on the court for the Bucks, and that's why it's so crazy to me how he is and honestly He's missed so many games because he's been injured this season that he can't even be in my MVP race. And talking about MVP race, let's get into that right now because my MVP race, there's only three three players right now that I see that have a chance at MVP. And I, I, I could see number one and two being flipped, but right now I think number three has to stay where he is. Number number three is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's averaging 31.1 points per game, eight 0.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and he's shooting 46.5% shooting. So, Jason Tatum out there with the Celtics, Jalen Brown, um, Al Horford, The you have the Williams out there as well defending. And so, I like Jason Tatum, but he's taking a step back because he doesn't have to do so much for his team. And that's why I think he's number three. Number two is the shocker. Most people have him number one, but I, I, I think you can give it to number one, who I have at number one the MVP right now. Number two is Nico Jokic. He's averaging 25 points, 25.1 points a game, 10.9 rebounds per game, 9.9 assists per game, and he's shooting almost 63%, 62.9% actually. And he's won it the last two years. He's a two-time MVP winner, and I, I, I give him credit for that. But right now, my number one is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is, listen to this, Averaging 33.8 points per game, 10 rebounds a game, 4.2 assists, and he's shooting 53.4% shooting. Insane. And I get it. He has James Harden, and he has he has Doc as his coach and all this. But, you, I mean, Nikola Jokic has got some really studs out there. There, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. So, I, I, I think Joel Embiid, this is his season. He can win the MVP over Jokic, the Joker. And I think he can do it because I get he's not he's not averaging. Uh, Jokic is almost averaging a, a triple double. I mean, nine point nine assists per game, crazy. But Joel is shooting is averaging almost seven more points a game. Excuse me, eight. My bad. Eight more points a game. They're averaging about the same rebounds. But yes, I know the Joker has about five more assists, and he's shooting almost. He is shooting. I would say ten percent better than Joel. But like I said, I think it's going to come down to this. And right now, I get why the Joker, Jokic, would have it. Because guess what? His team's number one in the West. And guess what? Embiid's is number three. So I understand where they're coming from. But I think Joel Embiid has a very good chance at winning the MVP this season. Now let's move on to some games to watch. I got a couple for you. As in a couple, I mean seven. <clears throat> wow, JT. But you got to think. They play way more consistently than football does. They play a lot of games in a week. So I got to give you some. All right, Wednesday night, tomorrow night, you got Nets versus Celtics. That's going to be good. Warriors versus Timberwolves as well on that same night on Wednesday. Going to be a great game. Then you have on Thursday, so back-to-back games for the Warriors. Warriors then face the Denver Nuggets. And then as well on Thursday, you have the Clippers versus Bucks. I like that. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George going up against Giannis. Middleton, I mean, so I'm, I am I love the Clippers that they're getting back. Gian, uh, excuse me, not Giannis. The Bucks have Giannis, JT. But the Clippers have the Claw, Kawhi, and they have Paul George. And I think they can make a, a run in the playoffs this year if they stay healthy. That's the problem. They haven't stayed healthy a full season. So can the Clippers do it? I think they can, and I think this year they can maybe make a run for it. Honestly, they're the better team in the LA, and I think that's been the case since after COVID. And I can argue, you can argue with me all you want, but I don't. I I'm not changing my stance. Then on Friday, you have the Suns versus Celtics. Oh man, that's going to be a good game. Devin Booker with obviously 
CP3, you got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, best duo in the NBA right now. No hands. You can come at me all you want, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, you are going to be arguing with a brick wall because JT will always pick those two, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, over anyone in the league right now. Then on Saturday, you have the Heat versus Bucks. Another another good game, man. Think about it. Tyler Hero. You got all those boys out there. Bam Adebayo. Giannis Anacupo on the Bucks. I mean, it, those those are going to be some good games. And then on Saturday as well, the Mavericks versus Warriors. Luka Doncic playing out of his mind once again. Dropped some more points last night. Looked great. He got uh, upset with a coach because one of the coaches on the bench we're uh, talking to him a little too much, and he decided to go show off and do what he does best, right? And that's prove them all wrong. Crazy. That's how he does it. He proves everyone wrong. I love Luka. The problem with Luka and the Mavericks in general is he has to carry the team. That's that's that that's the point. He has to carry the team. The Mavericks don't win unless Luka plays phenomenal. And that's the problem with the Mavericks right now. They've got to find another person to play with them. Dinwiddie's been playing well this season. You still got to find another player. You got to find someone that can help Luka out. Because once the playoffs come, Luka's going to get wore out. And then you're going to be a first-round exit real fast in uh, Dallas. So you've got to find someone, Dallas, that can help Luka. And I don't know if you're going to find it this year. That's why I think you're going to be a first-round exit. Now, the Warriors, on the other hand, listen, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, I mean... Listen, the Warriors, the Warriors are loaded. The Warriors are cool. The Warriors are right now what I would call a team that knows what they're doing. I know they're not uh, in the standing-wise looking very good, but they're going to get into the playoffs. I don't care what you say. They're going to get into the playoffs, and they're going to make a run for it. I mean, they're at number five right now. We were talking about it last week. They were at number 10, so they've already moved up five spots. They are um, ahead of Dallas, Phoenix, New Orleans, um, Minnesota, Utah, so... Crazy to think Utah's in there. I don't think the Lakers are going to get in. But, I mean, Golden State, if they get the the four seed, I mean, they still could get the two seed for all I know. Because think about it. Sacramento is the three. Memphis is the two. Four is the L.A. Clippers right now. So, if you think about it, they still could go up. Because guess what? Golden State has, um, has the number against the Memphis Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies... They're yapping, and like I've said, they're 15 and 15 in conference. They've got to find a way to win games in conference because until they do, until they do, you ain't going to find much out. And I mean, like I said, the Grizzlies right now have a really nice lead on the third place Kings with a three and a half game lead on them. But I mean, you've got to find ways to win games, and it'll be interesting to see what happens right there because I think Golden State. No matter where they are, they can make a play and they can make a run in the playoffs just because of the way they shoot and they play with those studs out there. All righty, guys. When we come back, we're going to jump into the NFL. We're talking Championship Sunday and we're talking other news. I'm going to tell you right now, before we go to break, we are not going to talk much about the Super Bowl. Why you, Why won't you talk about the Super Bowl, JT? Well, guess what? The Super Bowl is in two weeks. Next week, I have a show before the Super Bowl. That's when we'll take a deep dive into the Super Bowl. But I'm going to recap Championship Sunday. I'm going to talk about some stuff and some uh, some referee stuff and some other stuff. And then I'm also going to talk about some big news that has happened in the NFL, including two big signs signings for coaches and trades that happened literally in the last two hours. That's right here on Just Talking Sports on UCM The Beat. Also, don't forget your papers are being so how are your classes going? Pretty good. But ever since I started commuting this semester, I've had a hard time staying up to date with things going on at UCM. You should check out the Mule Skinner's online publication, digitalberg.com. The Mule Skinner? Isn't that just a print newspaper? Yeah, it is. But their website, digitalberg.com, stays up to date 24-7, bringing you the latest UCM news whenever you need it. Really? That's pretty cool. I have no idea. Digitalberg.com is your anytime, anywhere access to everything Yule Skinner and UCM News related. You don't want to be behind on the latest news. Digitalberg.com is your one-stop site for everything UCM and Warrensburg news related. See photos, videos, press releases, sports updates, and more at Digitalberg.com in conjunction with the Mule Skinner. What are you waiting for? Stop by now. Did you know that the University of Central Missouri has been leading innovation for nearly 150 years? With more accreditations and more qualified faculty members, our commitment to academic success is unparalleled. 
and we make sure every student receives the support they need to graduate on time and with less debt. So whatever opportunity you're looking for, make your impact sooner at UCM, with campuses located in Warrensburg, Lee Summit, and online. Find out more about UCM and the power of opportunity in action at ucmo.edu. Okay, so five tacos of cheese and a large soda, that's $10,012. Please drive around. Wait, 10,000 what? It's obvious you're buzzed and driving. I've only had a few, I'm fine. Yeah, the food's 12 bucks, but getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Please drive around. Actually, just park and come in. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back, guys, to Just Talking Sports. We're talking NFL Championship Sunday, one of the best Sundays out there if you're a huge NFL fan, football fan, you name it. If you're one of those two categories, Championship Sunday is where it's at. And to be honest, this Sunday, especially at the beginning, kind of stinked a little, and then at the end, it got better, and then we still have some stinking stuff to talk about. So as much as I want to talk about games, I we have we have some stuff to talk about as well. But first off, let's start with the early bird game, the Eagles and 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers headed to Philadelphia to face those Eagles, and boy oh boy, the Eagles manhandled the 49ers 31 to 7. And I'm going to tell you this right now. We can give all the praise we want to the defense of the Eagles and the Eagles played phenomenal defense. Like that 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 is that is without a doubt one of the biggest things. You also can't say the 49ers were dealt a really bad hand because of the quarterback situation. And for all of you that don't know, Brock Purdy, the starting quarterback, who was the third-string quarterback at the beginning of the season, who was Mr. Irrelevant, which means he was drafted very last in the draft, the very last player to be taken, was in at quarterback, and he got hurt. And it looked... it. On the play, he was back to throw, and he got hit in the arm, and the ball came out before it went forward, so it's a fumble, and the Eagles recovered, and they challenged it. And so, Purdy comes out, and then they bring in they bring in Josh Johnson, who's their fourth-string quarterback, and so he was playing backup role this time, and he comes in, and in the third quarter, he gets taken out because he hit the ground hard, and he hit his head, and he came out with a concussion. So then... You're thinking, okay, who are you going to go to? Their emergency quarterback was Christian McCaffrey. And then after Christian McCaffrey, it was Kyle Huszczyk, who's the fullback. But Brock Purdy goes back in, but Brock Purdy can't throw the football. Like, he legitimately can't throw the football. And so Brock Purdy's getting, like, criticized on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all the social medias because he's out there, but he can't throw. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you can't suck it up to go play in the championship Sunday. And all these quarterbacks are out, or all these players are out there like, oh, my God, you can't. And the name specifically, one of my favorite players that was not a chief, it's actually Reggie Bush, yeah, played with the Saints. I loved him a lot, went to USC uh, and all this. He was talking so much crap on Brock Purdy. And it's, it's crazy to me because... He was like, oh my gosh, Drew Brees went out there and played with broken ribs and all this, and Brock Purdy can't go out there and throw a football, he can't man it up and all this. Huh, newsflash, he actually has a UCL tear, and for all you people that don't know what a UCL tear is, it's kind of like Tommy John surgery for all the baseball players. It's a ligament in your elbow, and it's going to take at least six months to recover. It's going to be surgery, so that's a huge problem, and you wonder why he couldn't throw. In his throwing hand, he had a torn ligament. So, Reggie... um. You want you're a running back, right? So if we tear your ACL, can you go run with the football? Like, what are we doing, Layer? Why are you criticizing someone out there because he can't throw the football and you don't really know what's happening? So, I, 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 like I said, I really liked Reggie Bush when he played, but his comments uh, this weekend while the game was happening were blasphemous, and it really irked me. So I had to go there. Like, what could Sh- Kyle Shanahan do? Yeah, he could have probably made. Christian McCaffrey, the quarterback, and played Wildcat. You could have done a lot of things better with that because then you're you have so much versatile. But Brock Purdy went out there. I, I give Brock Purdy so much credit for going out there with a UCL tear and playing in that game after Josh Johnson got hurt. So props off to him. But like I said, the Eagles defense played phenomenal. Only gave up 164 yards, like I said, to the backup, backup, you know what I'm saying. Like no quarterback really. And they had three takeaways though. That's the thing. Three takeaways. So all fumbles too. Crazy. Um, now let's go to something that I think that should have been talked about more is Kyle Shanahan coaching. The very beginning of the game, fourth down, Eagles go for it. I like the call. I'm more of an aggressive kind of person myself. I know Andy Reid sometimes isn't. 
He goes for it, and Jalen Hurts throws a deep ball to Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith comes down with it, and he goes, here's the thing. I don't know if anyone caught this while watching the game. He gets up, and he goes fist bumps right above his chest. Like, he does this fist bump right away, and everyone gets up to the line, and they snap the ball right away. And Fox isn't giving us good angles of this this ball at all. But you, you, you kind of got this thing in your head, like, okay, maybe there's something more there, because he gets up right away, and he does the fist bump thing. And so he he's budging those fist bumps together, and he's like, it's like that son, like, hey, hurry up. Uh, we might have got away with one. And so he hurries them up. They get the ball off, and they snap it, and then they score a touchdown two plays later. Um, Miles Sanders, first touchdown. So if you had that back going on, then you won some money. But the thing is, is then Fox finds this replay, and oh, my God, the ball rolled. The ball rolled on the ground under him, on his belly, and no one saw it because Fox didn't give us a good view of it until after the touchdown. And so now everyone's, like, blaming Kyle Shanahan, and I think the only thing you could say about Kyle Shanahan is, hey, you should have thrown the flag because you saw him hurry up so fast. And I think that's something the coaches are going to uh, learn real fast in this league um, is when they're going to have to come up with signals, like little slight signals like, hey, if I do this, this means let's hurry it up. And so when Devontae Smith did the fist bumps above his chest, he was signaling, let's go, let's go. We might have got away with one. And guess what? They did. They turned into the seven. And everyone was like, oh, my God, they scored seven points. It's, it's not that big of a deal because the 49ers scored seven before they scored another touchdown. Uh, it's a huge deal. That changes the whole momentum, the whole trajectory, because maybe – then Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt. So there's a lot of things that could go on. Kyle Shanahan should have thrown the challenge. And then literally on the very next uh, drive, literally after the Eagles kicked it off to the 49ers, they call an incomplete pass on the play where Brock Purdy's hurt. They said it was incomplete. And on the replay, guess what? The ball was out. It's called an empty hand. He loses the ball before he goes forward with the arm. And the ball just goes forward with his arm because it landed like right on his arm. And guess what? The Philadelphia Eagles challenge, they win the challenge to get the ball back, and there it is. So that's what I'm saying. So you got to figure out the challenging rules. And I, and Fox, man, you got to give us a better angle real fast because that's 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 pretty bad that you couldn't give us a better angle right away. Now let's move on to the, um, the main event of Championship Sunday. The game everyone was talking about. The game that everyone was anticipating. The one where, oh my gosh, if Joe Burrow wins, does he take over the best quarterback? Oh my gosh, Burrowhead? Oh my gosh, all this. Oh my, oh my, oh my, Eli Apple out here and Mike Killen talking their talk. And that's cool. Like, I'm all for talking. But then you get the mayor. <laughs> the mayor, man. The mayor. Oh boy, the mayor. And what he said, I mean, you, you can go watch it. Look up Cincinnati Mayor and you'll figure out what he said. Um, I don't. Re- I, I mean, I know what he said and I'm not going to really repeat it just because it's it's blasphemy, okay? The Chiefs walk it off, all right? That's all that matters. The Chiefs walk it off in Arrowhead at GEHA Field. 23-20. Bucker hits the game-winning field goal. 45-yard field goal. But we got to talk about you-know-what, okay? We're going to talk about it. The play that set him up. And I feel so bad for Joseph Osai. Joseph Osai had a phenomenal game, folks. I mean, this guy played really well. Like, you want to talk about a player that played well but is going to be defined because of one play? Joseph Osai. This man, on this play, third and four, 17 seconds are on the clock, no timeouts for the Chiefs, at the 47 of Cincinnati, and you kind of need to get inside that ram of 35 yard. You want to get right around the 35-yard line to maybe even think about kicking a field goal for the Chiefs just because of the wind and everything. And guess what? Patrick Mahomes on one leg decides he's going to roll out and run with the football. He can't find anyone. And the, the craziest thing is, is it, it's weird. He starts running with 13 seconds left on the clock. And I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even think of it until like people kept pointing it out. I'm like, oh my, that is so weird. But he rolls out with 13 seconds left and he gets up the field and he gets pushed out of bounds, like I said, by Joseph Osai. He gets pushed out at the 47 yard line of Cincinnati. So you're thinking about this. He start we they the Chiefs start on Cincinnati's 47. He gets pushed out at Cincinnati's 42 for five yards. Okay. So he got the first down and he's out of bounds. So the clock stops, right? Clock stops and there's nine sec there's eight seconds, excuse me, left on the clock. And you're at the 42 yard line of Cincinnati. So you still need about you would want seven more yards, right? But guess what? There's there's a bigger problem. Joseph Osai hits Patrick Mahomes out of bounds late. And for all you people that are saying it was not a late hit and you can't call it, 
What are you talking about? That's called in the first quarter, and that's called in the second quarter. Not just because it was in the fourth quarter of the late game and it's a quarterback. They're calling that. And for all of you saying that Patrick Mahomes sold it, okay, he sold it. Congrats. I mean, aren't you supposed to sell it? Like, you want to sell it to get the flag. And honestly, he also gets tripped up on the play. If you go replay it, their legs collide together, and that's why he falls more like with his arms in the air because I don't think he was expected to fall. I think he was more like that. And so... Joseph Osai is going to be remembered because of that play right there. Because of that uh, unsportsman, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct because he was pushed, he pushed Mahomes laid out of bounds. And the crazier thing is, is Osai injured himself. He His knee buckled on him, folks. Like, if you go look at it, it was very gruesome. And so it, it really stinks for this man. Second year player out, out of there. And I mean, from Texas, he's a really good player player play defensive end like I said he had a really good game and so for him to be really defined by that play it stinks because like I said there was this one play um to a drive before the Chiefs had where he rushes Patrick Mahomes to throw the football and he throws it to Isaiah Pacheco the Chief, uh, Mahomes does and Pacheco breaks it for 10 yards but he made Mahomes throw that ball so short because of him getting there so that's what really stinks about it so uh, I mean, it's it's crazy to think Joseph o- Joseph Joseph Osai had five uh, tackles, three solo. He had a tackle for loss and a pass breakup. So, and he had two quarterback hits, folks. So, for you all to say, oh, that's that he didn't even have that really good of a game. He had a he had a really good game because that offensive line for the Chiefs is really good. But you know what else is really good for the Chiefs on Sunday? That defense, five sacks, two interceptions, held the Cincinnati Bengals to. Two field goals out of three times in the red zone. And then, I mean, Chris Jones pressured Burrow eight times. Got two sacks as well. So, and Burrow, when he was under duress by Jones, was 0 of 8. They gave up 71 rushing yards. The rushing game was not there for any team, both teams, but you expected that because the two great quarterbacks, right? But the thing is, is the two interceptions. You want to talk about, oh my gosh, that's the play that ruined the game, the season for Cincinnati? No. No, it didn't because Joe Burrow... Joe Burrow had two opportunities in the fourth quarter to win this game. He gave the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Like, are we not going to talk about that? And then are we not going to talk about how Sky Moore returns the punt? So, for y'all to say, oh, Joseph Asai is the reason they lost. I mean, no, he's not. You you, you need to play better, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, you were outgained. You were had more penalties, and we'll get into that in a minute. You had more turnovers. So, you you didn't play well you didn't play better than them you didn't have the lead going into halftime you were down you didn't even score in the first quarter so like i mean what are we talking about here so you want to talk about it in the fourth quarter you had joe burrow throw an interception and you punted you got the ball with that interception you went 18 yards on five plays took up two minutes and 25 seconds the chiefs on that very next possession after the interception went seven plays they got 49 yards they took off four minutes and 23 seconds and when they punted it away i honestly thought oh man here we go they're gonna walk us off again at our own place and then it really hit me when you converted a third and 16 and i'm like oh my gosh we're gonna lose because of a third and 16 but guess what no because you guys then proceeded to get two yards in the next three plays and including a incomplete pass and a sack thanks to Chris Jones because you decided not to chip Chris Jones when he was on the outside, uh, lined up at defensive end with Hayden Hurst. Uh, so not Hayden Hurst. So I mean, what 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 are we what are we doing here? Like you you want to do this? Like the the Bengals, you you did this to yourself. Like um, you have Hayden Hurst. You could chip Chris Jones and give you some more time, and you hate to do that because you hate to have extra blockers. And it came back to bite you. Joe Burrow got sacked. And you give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, and you knew, and I I know everyone watching that game knew that the Chiefs were going to score. They were going to score when you punted them the ball back, and it even made it easier when Sky Moore decided to do Sky Moore things. So, and I mean, as much as I want to give credit to Sky Moore, listen, <laughs> I was very scared when Sky Moore was back there to return punts, but guess what? He returned it 29 yards and got us. At our own 47-yard line. So thank you, Sky Moore. And thank you to the rookies that played in this game. Brian Cook, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Trent McDuffie, George Karlofkis, Sky Moore, Isaiah Pacheco. All of those rookies 
made impact. Brian Cook made the bad at pass that was intercepted by Joshua Williams. Jalen Watson intercepted him as well. So those three right there are cause of the two turnovers. Trent McDuffie was making open field tackles and playing well. George Kalafis had a sack. Sky Moore came in, returned punts, played well, made a couple catches on offense, and then Isaiah Pacheco, obviously, is our now running back for the future. Also, can we talk about the injuries for the Chiefs? Quarterback Patrick Mahomes played, I know, ankle. Travis Kelsey had a back problem. LeJarius Sneed goes out with a concussion. Linebacker Willie Gay goes out with a shoulder. Wide receivers Cardarius Tony, Miko Hardman, and Juju Smith-Schuster all out. So you're telling me three of the four starting wide receivers for the Chiefs goes out. I know you have tra- uh, you have Travis Kelsey and MVS. You have LeJarius Sneed, who's your best corner, and Willie Gay, who's your second best linebacker. Probably those, th- those two right there are top... They're probably top five on your defense if you want to talk about that like that so I mean that's huge and both of those went out in the first quarter LeJarrius Sneed and Willie Gay both went out in the first quarter Mahomes was playing and I'm not going to say he was on one leg but he was he, he, he was starting to feel it come that third quarter you could tell he was so that's where that stands and I think I think it's the Bengals defense really really did they didn't do that well against Mahomes in the second half like they usually do. But you also you, your offense has to do better if you're Cincinnati right now. Like your offense did nothing come fourth quarter. And to be honest, Joe Burrow, <laughs> that 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 play that started the fourth quarter was crazy to me. That that fourth and six to start the quarter was wild because it was fourth and six at your at the Chiefs' thirty-five yard line. At your, uh, at the, uh, excuse me, not the uh, 35 yard line. It was at the 41 yard line. And you throw it into double coverage. Brian Cook doesn't turn around enough to get to the ball. And Jamar Chase goes up and gets it. Joe Burrow knows how to play football, folks. Joe Burrow is number two on the quarterback list. But here's the thing it goes one, Patrick Mahomes. And then it goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. About two semis between each other. And then Joe Burrow. And then you can have the discussion on who's the second best. Right now, there is no discussion on who's the best quarterback in the league because it is Patrick Mahomes. I don't care what you people say. There's no need for that because Joe Burrow had his chances. Got the ball with 9.18 left in the fourth quarter, went 18 yards, and threw an interception. Then he got the ball back with 2 minutes and 30 seconds, went 22 yards, which uh, you think about it, you got a third and 16, you got 24 out of that, then you take a sack. They went 22 yards including that 16-yard play and before he punted it. Joe Burrow had his chance to legitimately put himself in the conversation, and guess what? He lost that chance. He went down, and guess what? The Chiefs are headed to Super Bowl 57 to face the Philadelphia Eagles, and like I said, I'm not going to talk about it much because that's for next week. But the officiating, folks, that's what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about it. The road team was flagged 20 times to the home team 8 times. So yes, the, the officials were bad, and I mean they were not the greatest. But for the Bengal fans to be like going crazy about the late hit, the third and nine, and the late hit that Joe Burrow took, if you go look back at it, Joe Burrow, um, one great great acting by Joe Burrow on the Frank Clark play. Um, if you want, if you know what I'm, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look back. Uh, it was the first possession, the one where they get the ball with nine eighteen left, and they only go eighteen yards before he throws the interception. He gets hit. And he goes out, Um, he throws the ball, and he gets hit. He gets shoved by Frank Clark. Frank Clark gets a little hit by the offensive lineman, and he hits Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow literally does a somersault and falls, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that should be a penalty. Honestly, I was upset with Frank Clark because he did it. He he, he could have got a penalty right there, but they didn't call it because I don't think it was that egregious. I think it was more acting by Joe Burrow. He tried to sell it, and it didn't work. The other thing, the third and nine twice, folks, if you don't understand what happened, on second down, it was an incomplete pass. So now it's third down, but they don't spot the ball correctly. So then the referees come together and they get the ball, spot it correctly, but then they roll the, the their hands to say, hey, let's let the clock roll. Guess what? The clock shouldn't have rolled. And so then you're like, okay, then why are we replaying the third down and nine even if the, the, the clock wasn't supposed to start? Okay, just stop the clock right now. But apparently the official in the very back who apparently doesn't have a whistle, um, can we get that man a whistle, folks? We need to get him a whistle first off. He's coming in waving his hands. Not blowing his whistle, but just waving his hands like, hey, I'm here. Hi. Um, so then they go, let's replay it. Obviously, the next play, the Bengals get called for holding. Gives them automatic first down for the Chiefs. But the thing is, is the Chiefs then punted three plays later. 
well, excuse me, four plays later, from the same spot where they would have punted on that one drive on the same fourth and nine. So as much as Bengal fans want to be upset about that, you can't be upset about that because I was confused as a Chiefs fan. I mean, I would obviously be upset if I was in the Bengals fans' places, but guess what? It happens. Like I said, it's the NFL. I've never seen it happen before. I'm honestly thankful that the Chiefs didn't score on that. They just punted it away three plays later because that would have been a whole mess in itself if the Chiefs scored there. So that's where that stands. But there's two things I want to say about the Chiefs. MVS, thank you for playing. What a game. What a guy. Way to show up when we needed you. You were literally our number one receiver thanks to everyone going down, and you played well. There was one of the plays where he's doing the circle motion in the backfield, and he catches it on a swing pass, and he takes the ball for 30 yards. So thank you for that. And then also, Spags, um, can we give you a round of applause real quick? Give uh, Coach Spags, defense coordinator, a round of applause. Yes, he deserves one. You know why? Because once Tyler Boyd went down, he decided to double cover Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on plays he knew they were going to throw it, and guess what? It worked. That's what you do. What a way to adjust. Spags does it, and guess what? This defense is only going to get better next year, folks. There's a lot of rookies on it, and they're going to look good. All right, we got to get into other news. The two big news that happened literally in the last two hours, Saints and Broncos have finalized a trade for Sean Payne. The Saints will receive a 2023 first and a 2024 second, but they give up Sean Payne, obviously, and a 2024 third-round pick. Will this help? I don't know. Um, I need to see what happens because we all thought Russ was going to be cool this year, and guess what? He didn't cook anything. He was getting roasted by a cartoon character named Patrick Starr. So that's how it goes for you, Russell Wilson, and I don't know if I can trust you, but if there's one coach that I think that could maybe fix you, it is Sean Payne. So we'll see what happens. The problem is, is the Broncos now have lost three first-round draft picks, three second-round draft picks, a 2022 fifth-round draft pick, quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris to acquire two people, Russell Wilson and Sean Payne, and guess what? They're paying on big dollars. So yeah, not only have you lost a lot of draft capital and a couple players, you've also lost a lot of money. Hopefully this pans out for you. I doubt it does because you're the Broncos, and ever since the Super Bowl, you haven't done much, and you're just not good. So, I mean, you might finish third this year. We'll see. We'll see. You might finish third in the AFC West, and that's 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 better than this year because you finished last. We'll see, though. The big news, though, I think is a great hire is the Houston Texans hiring the 49ers defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. I love this move on a six-year deal. I think D'Amico Ryans can change this whole, whole, whole organization around. I think he's going to be great, and I think the Texans can be legitimate, beautiful teams two to three years from now, and I think they have the right coach, and I know it's hard to be a head coach on and your emphasis in defense now because of all the quarterbacks, but if there's one thing to think about, you get a defensive-minded head coach in the AFC with all this top-heavy quarterback, and you figure a way to do it, I think you can make it happen. The Panthers hire Frank Wright as their new head coach. Obviously, he was fired because the Colts won it Jeff Saturday, and we all know how that worked out. So, yeah, no, good. I already talked about the Brock Purdy, who has the torn UCL. That's big news. Cowboys fire OC offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, and then the Chargers literally, in a span of 12 hours, hire him. So... How do we feel about that? I don't know. I mean, let's think about this. Dallas didn't want him, so the Chargers pick him up. He's got to be better than uh, the offensive coordinator the Chargers had. And so that's that's the good news. That's the good news. It can't be that bad, right? <laughs> but you don't have speed, Chargers. Your offense does not consist of speed. That's the scary part. You need to have speed to throw the ball deep. I think you're going to throw the ball a little farther than you did in the air uh, with more as your head coach or not your head coach, your offensive coordinator, but you've got to find speed. Maybe do that with the draft. I don't know. That defense is really good. I like I like a lot of players on that defense for the Chargers, but you got to find speed on offense to make stuff happen. Bill O'Brien leaves Alabama as the offensive coordinator to become the new offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. By uh, Patricia. You were not good at an offensive coordinator, and I don't know why you were there, but that's beside the point. New England, smart move. I think Mac Jones can make some good stuff. Jets hire Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator. You know why that happened? Oh, guess what? Because the trade rumors about Aaron Rodgers are happening again, and guess what? That's why Denver hired Nathaniel Hackett as their head coach, because they thought they could get Aaron Rodgers, and guess what? They didn't. They actually got Russell Wilson, and then guess what? They finished in last in the AFC West. So, Jets, uh, your whole plan is to get Aaron Rodgers? Good luck with that. I don't think you're going to get him. We'll see. Dolphins hire Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator. I love that move. Um... There's speculation that it didn't happen. I don't know. Uh, I've done my research, and I think it did happen. 
Uh, Ian Rappaport reported it that it did, but then you have Adam Sheffer who's saying it doesn't. Both have check marks. Both are big NFL reporters. I don't know what's happening. I think it's going to happen. Vic Vangio as the defense coordinator for the Dolphins. Also, back to the Jets. I think the Jets actually get. Uh, they actually are going to get. They're going to get. I think they're going to get. They are going to get Aaron Rodgers. Crazy enough, they are. But I also think you know who's the forty nine or who the Texans are going to get as their head, uh, their quarterback. Give me Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance. One of those two. I think one of those two are going to be the new uh, quarterback for the Texans. Hear me out. Just saying. Guess who went there? Forty nine ers defense coordinator. He knows the quarterbacks from San Fran. So just one of those two have to go there. Who's the quarterback for the 49ers? I don't know. It could be Tom Brady. It could be Aaron Rodgers. They could sign both. I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, though. It would be more Tom Brady than Aaron Rodgers. I don't know where anybody's going to go, okay? But it's fun to speculate. But who knows? All righty. The answer to the question, how many quarter, how many head coaches have faced their former team in the Super Bowl? The answer is four. You have, you have Weeb. Eubanks, you have Dan Reeves, John Gruden, and Pete Carroll. Crazy enough, Pete Carroll was a coach for the New England Patriots. So there you go. Those are the answers. So four. So Andy Reid makes that five. Crazy enough. Like I said, next week we're talking Super Bowl. Going to be a big, big show. Super Bowls coming up. Chiefs, Eagles. That's what you get to look forward to next week on Just Talking Sports. And guess what? It happens on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. right here on UCMDB. So I'm sorry I'm leaving you right now, but guess what? I got to go. You got K-State versus Kansas tonight at 7. I got to watch it. I'll talk to you all later. You have a wonderful, beautiful day. Stay warm. It's cold outside. Stay warm. Don't get colds. Uh, I love you all. Thanks for listening, and have a great one. Good night, everyone. Bye.